Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Becky Kakula is an international motivational speaker and advocate for inclusion. She also serves as the Disability Equality Index Director at Disability IN. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, which is a leading nonprofit resource for business disability inclusion worldwide. She also happens to be a little person and she proudly identifies as part of the disability community. Welcome to my show, Firecracker Becky. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very happy to have you here. And, you know, I, I read your bio and there's just so much about this that is very inspiring. And I wanted to ask you, how did you start working with corporations to help advance disability inclusion and equality? I decided to work with corporations after I spent a lot of time working with entertainment companies on just trying to figure out how we can get greater visibility for people with disabilities in general. In the media was where I kind of started off because I feel that that influences how people like me are portrayed in society and how people view us in society. And then when I went to a meeting with a bunch of people from corporate America, I sensed a stronger sense of eagerness where people actually were excited to talk about disability inclusion and they wanted to figure out how to get better. So wow. these people were willing to share their stories if they have a relationship to disability in one way or another because it was a space where they could trust other people direct competitors in the same industries come together and share best practices with all with the ultimate goal of just reducing the unemployment rate of people with disabilities so they can contribute to society in a meaningful way. I think that's very, I mean, it's awesome. It's very commendable um, because I do agree with you that there needs to be a lot more visibility of, well, in this case, specifically um, people with disabilities or the disability community. Um, but before I ask you more about what you do now. I just want to circle back and ask you about when you worked in the entertainment. So that was media, basically, right? Yes. Yes. Was it with uh, feature films, series? Can you? Tell I started me out at a talent agency, so we represented people who work in all of the different avenues of media, and we even packaged TV shows and movies and music videos and all of that, and then. I worked in television casting after that. So I was more specifically on the television side of things. And then I worked at the Actors Union. So it was kind of viewed like as on the sidelines, but a lot of big name actors are part of the union so they can get residuals and benefits. And that was working in TV, news, movies, whatever was a place where they could lend their voice or image in order to get compensated appropriately. And the reason I wanted to ask you is because I've had this conversation before with people who know or work in the entertainment industry as well. And there's just a lot of, there's so much need to continue with the visibility of so many different communities that 
are either not visible or are portrayed by people who are not part of the community. Right. Right. So um, I think it is very important because it, I mean, I think now more than ever, maybe due to the whole COVID thing, but people are like big consumers of media. Absolutely. And people believe most of the things they see in media, right? So there's a lot of um, maybe people who are portraying some somebody from a community they don't belong to and they are not doing it. Well, I'm not going to say correctly, but yeah, in a way, because they're not right. the ones who actually know or understand. Would you agree with me? I agree. So I think that's really, uh, I think it's very important. And now you're doing, you're working with corporations. Um, is you, do, do you prefer this, what you're doing now with corporations or, or did you like more what you did before with the media? Well, some, some of the corporations we work with have media entities to them. I just don't think they're thinking enough about putting people with disabilities in those creative roles. So they are wanting to hire people with disabilities in corporate type jobs, but they're not thinking of the big picture that you can have both if we get everyone to be on board. And that's kind of what we're seeing as they've started to have more success hiring people on the corporate side, their minds can open up a little bit more to hopefully uh, allow them to be creators. There have been a lot of conversations in the marketing space in general because all corporations have advertisements. So it's making sure that they're also getting that messaging that it's important to have authentic portrayals. Uh, there was a big commercial that is coming out for the holidays from Amazon and it includes a person with dwarfism and she's just part of the crowd and the dwarfism community is getting really excited about it because she's just part of the crowd rather than historically we've been portrayed in Christmas commercials as elves or leprechauns or whatever it may be. And that's kind of what we want to see more of because if we bring more humanity to the lived experience of people with disabilities, it can lead to more jobs and more inclusion in all aspects of society. Absolutely. And, and so what impact, because I've heard this term ableism. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Able? Yes. Able? Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, I mean, I know that is a negative thing, uh, just like racism or homophobia uh, there's just so many things that need to be fixed in all societies. But I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, the impact that your work are doing, that your work is doing um, on ableis ableism, how has it been experienced by you and people from your community? There's a lot of trying to fix the word disability that happens. And that's why the organization I work for is called Disability In because we really want to strengthen that word disability. And I think the outside world views disability as a negative. And that's why they try to say able or differently able or diversibility, jumping around the word. And then when it comes to that ableism terminology that's used, it's resentment that the disability community has towards those people who are quote unquote able body because they don't really take the time to get to know the community and all that there is to learn and grow from. Yeah, I completely agree. So what I understand from what you've told me, you're working of course to 
change that. Yes. And I also know that you're a speaker, you're a public speaker. Yes. Tell me more a little bit about what kind of speaking, I mean, what, yes, just, I want to know um, what you've done in terms of your speaking. Um, yeah, just delivering speeches in different yeah. <laughs> I've, I've kind of found my niche in the school and workplace environments. And of course, whenever I'm asked to speak about my opinions on what goes on in the media, I'm always open to that as well. I try to be very strategic on how I build my messaging. I keep politics and religion out of my speeches because I don't want there to be anything that separates my message from the people I'm trying to deliver it to. And then when it comes to the, just the demand, I started out speaking at a lot of schools where there was a child with a physical difference, whether they were in elementary school or middle school transitioning to a new school where they were going to get to know a whole new group of people. And the strategy was that I would come into the school, talk to the administrators about my experience growing up, the accommodations I had in school, and then speak to the whole student body, let them ask me the hard questions rather than them reacting negatively to that student who's transitioning and already nervous about a new environment. So really just kind of setting the stage to build a more inclusive school environment. And then in corporations, oftentimes I'll talk about my story on how I struggled to get my first job. I sent out 1,000 resumes, went on 100 interviews. Every time I walked in the door, I was judged based on my appearance. And finally, after a few temporary job assignments, I was able to secure a full-time permanent job. And while I was in that permanent job, I learned that I did not want anyone after me to have to go through what I went through trying to secure that first job. So I continue to tell my story and make recommendations on how companies can make the interview process more inclusive and at least deliver feedback to people who are interviewing, whether or not they're the right person for the job, let them know like how they could improve so they can learn how to do better in that next interview and just give people more of a chance rather than acting fearful before they even are able to deliver on the interview questions for a job that their resume qualified them for because they wouldn't have been asked to come in for an interview. Was this the first job after you received a college degree? Yeah, uh, this was, it was after co college. And, and people say the media industry is very competitive and there are parts of that. There are, were other people who did not have disabilities who maybe had a dozen interviews, but definitely not a <laughs> hundred. Yeah. I think it was just the shock factor. I didn't put on my resume that I had dwarfism, so it wasn't a part of the resume. But isn't that? I mean, is that's is that something that people with a disability or people from the disability community put in their resumes normally? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think people want to disclose unless they're applying to a job that they know that they can't do. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to have to disclose it because if their disability gets in the way of them doing the tasks that they're being asked to do, it would probably be important to mention that and see what flexibility there is. Yeah. So, so it's also the responsibility of the candidate with the disability to be open about responding in a way that 
is truthful and that they can actually do what's described in the job description. Yes, uh, but I think you would uh, you would uh, want that from anyone who's applying for for right. the job. Um, but in, I mean, because the thing is, I was thinking when you when I'm doing a resume, I never put my my race, for example, or I don't know, you know, things that are just so part of my physical appearance or part of uh, who I am. Um, yeah. So that 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 was why the question came up and. You know, just hearing your story about having to go through 100 interviews and, and just feeling when you walked into these rooms to be interviewed by whomever, um, that you were already being judged by the way that you looked instead of what you, you know, what was on your resume. Right. I think yes. that's just completely and totally unfair. Um, and I wish that more people were a lot more conscious of, you know, this type of situations. So I think my question to you would be, what, what would you say or what do you think people that are not part of the disability community can do to, um, to help change that? I would say give people who don't look like you a chance and you'll find out how much more you have in common with them than differences. Ask questions, don't make assumptions, and you'll learn a whole lot. And yeah. then when it comes to media, consuming media, Make sure that you're consuming media. If there are storylines around disability, make sure it actually includes someone with a disability in that story rather than someone who's playing disability. Because if we can get the box office numbers up for those authentic films, the business case will happen where it'll show that <laughs> movies make more money if they're authentic. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I would, I would assume they do, right? Yeah. Um, there definitely needs to be more portrayal of, you know, people that are different for whatever reason in, in the media. That is absolutely true. Um, tell me a little bit more about the nonprofit Disability Inn. So Disability Inn is a nonprofit that helps corporations advance disability inclusion. We have over 120 220 corporations, and they are all working to reduce the unemployment rate of people with disabilities and lean on us to help them with that. And we have a mentorship program called Next Gen Leader Program. It's for students in STEM, finance, or business fields. And we want to make sure that they have access to jobs at these corporations who are ready, willing, and able to hire. And we put them through a training program so they can get the critique, the mentorship in order to then transition into the workforce. I love that. And, and then we have affiliates that are doing work around the ground, on the ground in 27 different areas of the country. So they're all working locally to advance inclusion in their communities. And we are trying to get more people who are already at companies to feel comfortable disclosing their disability because 75% of disabilities are invisible and there are a lot of people who have a disability who just choose not to disclose it because they see the way that the other 25% of people are treated in society. That physical disability, it's obvious people react to our difference in a negative way because of our physical difference. So it's really just an amazing place to come together and I love when people feel safe enough where they can share their story, especially if they have an invisible disability. 
We've noticed with employee resource groups that are specific to disability within these companies, they can go, people can go and be a part of the employee resource group. If you're not someone with a disability, you would probably identify as being an ally. But sometimes after being in a room with those people for long enough, you may see some people who started as an ally who start to share their story related to disability. And that's when powerful conversations happen. I think it's just overcoming that fear that it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing if you have a disability and that it allows you to contribute in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of fear just even outside of corporate America in the sports world that if you acquire a disability later in life, then you can't participate in your favorite sports. You can still participate, maybe just in different ways. And I think same thing like in the workplace, if you acquire a disability, while you're working somewhere, if you're there for 30 years, maybe you acquire a disability with age, you can figure out how to get the support you need if you're open and honest with yourself and others. You're listening to The Honest Upward, a podcast where modern childcare women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. Right, Becky, the question I ask all of my guests, I would like to know um, what, why did you decide to be child-free and how that journey has been for you? Yeah, just currently up until this point, I've, I've been married for a year now and just um, getting to my late 30s. So it's just uh, trying to figure out uh, what that means and trying to stay focused on my career. So I think a big part is just staying focused on the career. So it, well, it hasn't been a choice per se, or do you don't remember having a moment when you were like, I'm not having children? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a choice per se. It's just kind of how life has played out. Mm-hmm. And how was, when you were young, did you, when you were a kid, did you th- saw yourself as a mother? I saw my sister as a mother um, and she has two kids now. It's so mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, but I didn't see, I think it's like the media portrayals. I didn't see anyone like me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think it was possible. You didn't think it was possible. So you didn't, because you know, it's um, most women, I would say almost every woman in this planet, but I'm not going to generalize that much, but I, I would say most women, we are conditioned since we we're born to, you know, believe that at some point in life, we're going to become mothers, right? It's like you're a woman, therefore your mother. So you have to become a mother in, in some ways. You never felt that pressure? No. Wow. That's interesting. And I don't know if it's because I'm the only one with the difference in my family and it just wasn't talked about. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it may have been and just not seeing any of those portrayals. Yeah. I would like to know a little bit more about your childhood and how that was when you were in school and navigating through, you know, uh, teen, your teenage years as well, uh, because I think that's also a very, you know, it's, it's interesting to to try to understand um, what your point of view is on that regard. Yeah, I had several surgeries growing up, and one of them caused me to miss 29 days of school, and it was hard to figure out how to get back on track. And after I missed 29 days of school. 
a lot of my friends who I grew up with were really close to me and they were supported me throughout my transition back into school. But then once I started liking guys, they <laughs> kind of pushed me out again and I was left out and spent a lot of nights where I didn't have a social life. And it was really hard for me to wrap my head around why I was being left out because I had known all of these friends for a very long time. And it was just kind of a stage that people were in, but it was a struggle. It was hard. It was hard to figure out why am I being rejected from people who I've been around for so long when I know that outside society, strangers tend to reject me because just of the fear of the unknown. But I think when it becomes part of your inner circle, uh, you start to doubt yourself. And I definitely had some hard times just trying to figure out why I wasn't being accepted by people who knew me so well. How old were you when this started? Probably 16, 17. Mm -hmm. So high school. Yeah. And then just so up until that point, I didn't feel any social exclusion. My mom worked in the school system where I grew up. So it was part of just being in the school system where people respected her. She was not one of my teachers, but because she was so well respected, it just seemed like a seamless education. And I didn't experience even what I've spoken <laughs> about in those communities where it's not as inclusive and I try to help make it inclusive. So it's trying to give back to those communities that didn't have what I had. But I participated in sports. I was on the high school swim team, sailing team. In college, I was also on the sailing team. It really didn't feel much different outside of that social time when people started going out and I just wasn't being invited. And then we got to our senior year, 17 or 18, and people started being more inclusive. And we got ready for college and kind of went our different ways. And then college wasn't the easiest at first, trying to fit in socially. But then once I made a few good friends, they became my friends through the rest of college. And I think from that point forward, I always thought about it's quality, not quantity. Yeah, that is true. Um, so I wanted to ask you, when was there a point in your life when you kind of look back to what had happened to you, you know, feeling excluded from these social circles and, and something changed, something in your mind clicked. And at some point you were like, you know, I'm just going to continue doing my thing and just love myself. Um, and I don't care what other people say or do. Yeah, it was actually, it was during my junior year and it was separate from the circle of friends that I was a part of. I went on a trip to Europe and it was recommended that, it was a school organized trip. It was recommended that you go just on this trip if you wanna go and it's okay if you don't have close friends cause you'll make friends while you're on the trip with the group of people who are going. So I knew someone a little bit more than I knew the rest of the people in the group. And I was excited to at least kind of know someone. So at least if I didn't get along with everyone in the group, at least this person I knew. Unfortunately, that person got in a car accident. She ended up being okay, but she couldn't go on the trip. It was like a week before the trip. Wow. And then we go on the trip and it ended up being the worst experience for me because I didn't fit in. And it would have been very important for me to have at least one person I knew well 
who I could hang out with because they were people who just went out on their separate groups, especially when it was free time. There were a bunch of organized museum trips and other things that we would do, but there would be a good chunk of free time in every day so we could independently explore the cities we were in. And I remember like I took French in high school because I wanted to go to France. So when we got to France, I was like, I have no one to hang out with. And it was kind of on the fault of even the group organizers because they were teachers and they probably should have been aware that I didn't have anyone to hang out with because I did even ask them if I could hang out with them and they were doing their own thing. It just, it felt very odd. But I started to just go around places near our hotel during the free time because I wasn't going to miss out on seeing a little bit of France, but I still don't think I felt strong enough and independent enough to go further than around the block of our hotel. So I went into a few little stores, but I think building off of that experience, the more I was eager to explore wherever it was that I went, even in college, if there were times where I wanted to just go to the mall near the college, I would go and just be okay going to the movies by myself, going to have a meal by myself, and thinking over time, the more comfortable I got with it, that I'm not gonna miss out on everyday aspects of life because people aren't gonna invite me places. I'm just gonna go do it. And anyone is welcome to join me at any time. And I continued to do that as I moved across the country to Los Angeles, and then I moved to New York for a few years. And I think if I didn't do that, I would have missed out on a lot. I think that's very inspiring because it's true. I mean, I agree with you. It's like, you know, taking that step to say, I'm going to do this, even if I, I'm doing it alone by myself, I'm, I'm, I enjoy it, I'm happy. And if somebody wants to join me, then that's perfect. Um, but, but just taking that step and it's, it's very courageous as well for um, just for people in general, because sometimes we don't have that like you said, you know, you don't feel independent enough to like do stuff by yourself. But then when you start gaining on that, then the world is your oyster, basically. Right. And I just didn't want to miss out on things. And I started going to networking events, going mm -hmm. into rooms with people I knew nothing about and seeing what happened. Sometimes I would have luck. Sometimes I wouldn't because sometimes the conversations are happening up really high. Uh, <sighs> but it's it's been a, a great experience because I also had the freedom to walk out in those scenarios if it didn't feel like a comfortable networking situation. Of course. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I am very inspired, not only by your own story, but also what you do now. So if anyone who's listening to this episode would like to help, how can they help um, specifically the nonprofit that you work with? I would say just send people to disabilityin.org. Uh, and also if people want to see my speaking videos, they can go to beckymotivates.com. And really it's, they complement each other. I'm thankful to have a job that also supports me speaking and telling my story wherever possible. And then just trying to give back and make it a better world for the future. That's, um, thank you very much, Becky, for that. Um, just one last question. Um, that I have for you and it you know circling back on on the whole motherhood thing you never felt that yearning I haven't <laughs> no okay that's good enough that's a good that's the, that is 
every any reason is a good reason. I was just mm-hmm. curious. Um, right. So before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add to your interview? Anything at all? I would just say go out there, ask people questions, don't make assumptions, and you'll learn so much. Just and don't let people tell you no if there's something you want to do and go after. Stay passionate. That's perfect. Thank you very much, Rick. It's been a pleasure having you in my show. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.